Influence is an interesting word. I had to build a platform to have influence. For me, I just wanted to make a difference. And being a journalist and serving Jesus, it was kind of what could I do? How do you unlock your full potential of influence and create lasting change? I'm your co-host, Dave Donaldson. Along with your other co-host, Scott Young, welcome to the Influencers Podcast. Join us each week for inspirational stories and strategies from leaders, experts, and professionals around the globe. We want to see you get equipped and empowered to make an impact that resounds from your neighborhood to the nations. If you enjoy our content, we would love for you to subscribe and have the opportunity to tune in to future podcasts. You can also follow us at The Influencers Podcast Official on all social media channels to stay up to date, to hear more inspiring content, and to unlock your full potential as an influencer. Well, you can't have the Influencers Podcast without having Steve Strang as your guest. Uh, Steve is an award-winning journalist. He founded Charisma Magazine, uh, voted by Time Magazine as one of the 25 most influential evangelicals in America. Uh, He's interviewed four U.S. presidents. uh, He's host of the Strang Report. I believe that's the highest listened to podcast on the Charisma Podcast Network. So I have brought with me other influencers, uh, friends of mine that helped start CityServe. These are pastors, business executives. And so there is a total of five of us around the table, six including you, Steve. And we're going to ask you a question that we've always wanted to ask you. Well, I've got to start with a question about influence because this is the influencers podcast. So what is influence? How does somebody gain influence? And what are your principles on how to manage influence? Wow, we could write a book on that, couldn't we? Well, first of all, I'm honored to be on your podcast. This is the first for me to be interviewed on somebody else's podcast in my own podcast studio. Um, But hey, It's fun. We'll have fun doing this. Um, Influence is an interesting word. It's um, I had to build a platform to have influence. Uh, For me, I just wanted to make a difference. And being a journalist and serving Jesus, it was kind of what could I do? You know, I've never really been a preacher, although I'm invited to speak. But you know, I'm a journalist who speaks, not a preacher. We started uh, when I was pretty young, and the, kind of the heyday of the charismatic movement. And there are a lot of exciting things going on, and I tried to report them because even back then, the press was not uh, very friendly to Christian stories. You know, everything was kind of cynical and that kind of thing. So influence is getting people to do things that they might not do otherwise. <laughs> and it can even be things like being encouraged You know, you can influence to be encouraged. Maybe they would be discouraged if it weren't for you. Uh, Maybe to be active, to get out to the polls, for example, or to speak up for righteousness or to support other people that are doing it. But I think it's hard, very, very hard to measure influence. Uh, Some of the people that you would think are very influential, maybe a lot of the secular types who have big mouths and they're on the news or they're politicians or whatever, they probably are really not influencing very many people. And then you have people like Mother Teresa, 
who was very influenced and even influenced your life, uh, starting with your brother, Hal, who she asked a question about, how, what are you doing to help the poor? Changed his life. And it's a question that really all of us need to deem. I think that as Christians, we have responsibilities to be good stewards. If you have money, you need to be a good steward of your money. If you have gifts, you need to be a good steward of your gifts. And if you have influence, you need to use it to help others, not to necessarily help yourself. And for me, especially at the stage I'm in life, I think it's also to maybe encourage or help other people learn how to do it themselves in their own sphere, and then it goes way beyond what you're doing. But that applies to a lot of things in life. There was a plaque in my home growing up, and it was a quote from C.T. Studd, a famous missionary, and it said, only one life will soon be passed. Mm -hmm. Only what's done for Christ will last, and that applies to any of us, (laughs) Um, and certainly applies to people who are or who aspire to be influencers. Well, I know you're, uh, you mentioned my brother, Uh, you're a top influencer in our family, and we're really grateful to you over the years how you help uh, support Convoy of Hope and other initiatives that our family's been involved. And I have with me here, uh, first of all, Scott Young, pastors a great church in Sarasota, Florida. Church. One of the most beautiful cities in Florida, I'll say. True. Thank you very much. Okay. So you're using your influence to <laughs> promote Sarasota. Scott likes that. Uh, but Scott, uh, great to have you. What's your question for Steve? First of all, thank you for the shout out for Sarasota, the <laughs> nicest beach in America, Siesta Key Beach. And, uh, and it's the only city in Florida where the county seat is the same name as the county. Did you know that? I do know that. Sarasota County. I do it's know that. It's a beautiful, beautiful place. The name Stephen Strang and Charisma Magazine has had a 50-yard front row seat to, as you said, the charismatic heyday through decades of leaders and influencers. The halls of your office have pictures of leaders and influencers. You have met characters and characteristics. What are the key characteristics for an influencer? You've seen the good, the bad, and the ugly. So what's good, what's bad, and what's ugly in the characteristics of an influencer? Wow. I'm not sure I know how to answer that question. You mentioned the charismatic movement. I consider it to be a part of the Pentecostal movement that goes back to Azusa Street where it was the power of the Holy Spirit. It's not what we do, it's the power of the Holy Spirit, which it, you know, the Holy Spirit has been at work, but a lot of the charismatic gifts were um, in, in remission, is that mm-hmm. the right way to say it? In the last century and a lot in our lifetime, we've seen a renewal of that. Um, the world needs that more than ever. The world is, the world has always been bad. I mean, World War I and World War II were pretty horrific, and that was before our lifetime. <laughs> but who would have thought that the, our country would become so socialistic? And uh, it's not just politics, it's a spiritual warfare. Yeah, we've covered uh, characters, and <laughs> how did you put it? But I would say most of the people are really very sincere and they want to do something for Jesus. You know, certain people are self-serving. But you find that in every single group. 
whether it's the Catholics or the Mormons or is part of the human experience, is part of the fallen nature. And uh, one thing about it is that in our circles, at least, people don't put up with that stuff. The people leave. In fact, I had a, a, an evangelical, kind of a liberal evangelical, as I recall. And this was a number of years ago. They had a big controversy in evangelical circles on the inerrancy of the Bible. And he asked me if this was a big controversy in Pentecostal and charismatic circles. And I somewhat facetiously said no, because if you don't believe the Bible is inerrant, we consider you backslidden. And uh, so there wasn't much to debate. <laughs> and I, you know, I was being a little bit humorous, but there was also some truth in that. And you know, this has been going on for years, years and years and years and, and really centuries. There's a tendency to start off with revival fires mm -hmm. and to cool off, become legalistic, get, in, get into the things of the world, and it happened to the early church, and it, it devolved into the state church in Europe in the Dark Ages, and it was dreadful, and I don't want to criticize the Catholics, uh, but you know, it took reformers like uh, Martin Luther and John Calvin and others to get the church back to the New Testament. And then you have groups like the Methodists that are holiness people. They used to say shouting Methodists. And look how it's happened. You know, if we're gut level honest, it's ha happening to the Pentecostals who like being respected and having the nice churches and not having controversy and being well thought of. And so there's always new groups coming up people who are all excited about Jesus. A lot of times a certain amount of goofiness comes along with that, that the older, wiser people can criticize. But I would rather see wildfire than no fire. Mm. At least it can be corralled. Mm. So I went all the way around the block to answer that question and probably didn't answer it, did I? Thank but that, that, that's my perspective. Well, that was great. Well, we also have uh, Wendell Venson, and Wendell Venson pastors a great church in Bakersfield, California called Canyon Hills, and also is one of the founders of CityServe, actually created the model right there that is being replicated across the country. And uh, actually before, you know, our brothers, my brothers and I started Convoy of Hope, I was on staff with Wendell and uh, was really part of a church that had meteoric uh, growth. Uh, Wendell is a, a great leader, visionary, and, and really God has uh, blessed what uh, he's put his hands to. And really didn't I read in Charisma Magazine that Bakersfield has a higher percentage of Pentecostals? Yes, you did. Than that, any other city in America, that, which is pretty incredible statistic. We framed that particular issue <laughs> in our office of Charisma Magazine, let me tell you. So we call it From Your Neighborhood to the Nations from your neighborhood to the nations, and that's what's been modeled right there out of Bakersfield. Wendell, what's your question for Stephen Strang? Well, it's just great to be with you, Stephen, well, today. And we are living in such an amazing moment in history and really an amazing moment for the church. And as a leader uh, for years in Christian communications and in a time when the world is attempting to define the church more for what we're against than what we're for. You know, the whole 
cancel culture thing, really often keeping the church in a defensive position rather than advancing. How should the local church be thinking about messaging and communications going forward? Well, it's a good question. It, uh, we've got to speak out. We've got to speak truth. We cannot be intimidated into silence. The church has been intimidated into silence, you know, many times before. Uh, it really happened in the 1920s, which would have been early days of Pentecost. And the big issue of the day was prohibition. And it was actually passed as an amendment to the Constitution. It was enormously unpopular and it was later repealed. And the Christians were blamed. And then around the same time as the Scopes Monkey Trial, which, as far as the culture is concerned, our side lost. You know, the whole debate about evolution, which we don't even debate anymore. <laughs> you know, we don't. Uh, those of us who believe the biblical version, we just believe it and nobody kind of listens to us and we don't argue over it. And the, ch the church kind of retreated. It was, it was kind of silent during the Depression, World War II, kind of reemerged with Billy Graham and Oral Roberts and all those things that happened after World War II. And then the charismatic movement in the mainline churches actually probably started then and was not really recognized until the 50s and early 60s. You know, we still have freedom of the press. We still have freedom of speech. The things that happen are mostly intimidation. It, we are very concerned about some of the laws that are being passed, particularly the uh, so-called Equality Act. Uh, equality is a very popular name. It's a nice word on a horrible bill that would actually uh, almost criminalize certain kinds of things that ought to be debated, like can't even debate whether or not children should be able to do sex change therapy. So, you know, children can't drink until they're 21. They, you know, there's certain things they can't do without parental consent, but that would be allowed, and you can't even criticize it. Now, I think it would be uh, found to be unconstitutional, but an awful lot of other things that should have been unconstitutional were not ruled that way by very small uh, votes by unelected officials, unelected justices. So, you know, in the same way that um, the, the COVID pandemic has made opportunities for the church to serve, uh, these very difficult times allow us to speak. We need to speak with confidence. We need to speak with kindness. We need to not be intimidated into silence. And we need to support each other there's a certain cancel culture within the church. Yeah. If people don't like something, uh, the most recent thing was this, some of the prophetic words that came out about Donald Trump, which I reported in my several books that I wrote on Donald Trump. You know, the Bible says we have to test prophecy, which means that maybe there's something to test. First uh, Corinthians 13 says, now we see through a glass darkly. The prophets were saying that Donald Trump would win. Well, they were right in 2016 when nobody in the world thought it would happen. That's right. Yeah. And this time, my personal opinion, I've said this publicly, is that he did win. He was mm -hmm. stolen. Now, 
you know, I have my personal questions on, like, why none of the prophets saw how this would shake out at the end. You know, they didn't say Donald Trump's going to win and it's going to be stolen and there's going to be unrest in the Capitol. But what I'm describing is probably more fortune-telling than he is prophetic. But my point in even bringing it up is there are a lot of Christians that want to cancel those prophets out. Like, but, of course, they're the same people that are just waiting to criticize the prophetic or any kind of spiritual gifts. And so we've always had to speak for truth. There's always been deception. There's always been bad theology. So in, in those ways, it's no different. And um, no matter how bad things get, it's probably been worse somewhere else in some other era. It's just that we as Christians have had it so good for so long in America that we are just shocked that we might actually have persecution. Thank you, Wendell and Steve. Uh, we also have with us a businessman, successful businessman, uh, Dave Pavlin and his brother and wife. Uh, they founded Therapy Support, uh, one of the largest uh, companies in the nation uh, that envisioned a turnkey process that assists healthcare professionals with managing medical equipment and needs with less clinical risk and lower cost. And uh, again, one of the largest in the country, they sold it a number of years ago. And then Dave uh, is building high-end senior housing, uh, but also is one of the founders of CityServe. Uh, Dave, what's your question for Steve Strang? Steve, thanks for having us. I appreciate that. You and I have something in common. We both built organizations from basically the ground up. And um, through that experience, I'm a firm believer that the marketplace either rewards you or punishes you. And my question is, Charisma Media is an important voice with a significant national brand. In addition to that, you have large personalities that come on and they have a particular stance, a particular message. With that, you expose yourself to negative feedback, uh, uh, outside pressures that'll come to you and express an opposition. How do you address that from your own brand as well as helping those personalities? And can you give us an example? Well, I see what I do is largely giving other people platforms rather than doing the platform myself. So we have authors like Jonathan Kahn, who wrote The Harbinger, which sold over two million copies. Uh, we give platform to a lot of other authors and I don't mean to brag because there are other publishing houses much, you know, bigger, but we've had, I think, 16 books on the New York Times bestseller list, and I and we were giving those people platforms. They weren't my books. In fact, I only started writing books the last couple of years, and it was because, frankly, I felt there was an untold story about Donald Trump's win in 2016. It was a spiritual story, and no, no one had written it including my friend Doug Weed, but Newt Gingrich didn't do it, um, you know, some other books that I read, and I thought, there is a story to be told, and I, I wrote it. Um, yes, of course, there's controversy, but part of life, you know, it's like getting married and being in love. You know you're going to have a few bad days, and you're going to have a few arguments, and, you know, a denominational background. I won't mention the name, but you know what it is, where timidity is rampant <laughs> and being criticized is like one of the worst things in the world actually it's a great 
compliment. It means you're actually doing something, <laughs> and it shows that actually somebody's paying attention to what you're doing. The Bible says that iron sharpens iron. So one brother sharpens the other. And, you know, one of the great things I liked about Donald Trump is that all this stuff did not seem to bother him, you know. And he was kind of our hero at a time that not many people were our hero, you know. So I just try to have somewhat the same attitude that just let that stuff not, not bother me. I mean, you just can't go through life if you're going to always be worried about it. You know, I'm just doing what I do. Um, other people do it better. Whatever success I've had pales by comparison to others. God put us here at a certain time for a certain reason. None of us picked the generation we were born to. Nowadays, with sex change operations and everything else, you can change just about anything. The only two things you can't change is who your parents were or when you were born. Yeah. You know, you can imagine to be a lot of things, but I cannot imagine that I was born in 1850. You know? <laughs> and also, we who are followers of Jesus and empowered by the Holy Spirit um, should not be surprised because this is spiritual warfare. The enemy is attacking like never before, but greater is he that's within us than he that's within the world. And do we believe that, or is it just rhetoric? Amen. That is good. Thank you, Steve. Uh, and then our last influencer to ask you a question is Darren DeLon. Uh, he is the executive pastor of New Life Church in Arkansas, one of the largest and fastest growing in America. He's one of the founders of ARC, Association of Related Churches, you know, which plants churches in America all around the oh, world. Oh, I know. And his pastor, Rick Bizet's one of the nicest guys I've ever he known. He is a dear, dear friend. You know, yeah, we've traveled the world together, Rick and, and Darren, uh, along with Rick, have helped uh, to launch CityServe. And, but they also were the first franchise, if you will, we call them affiliates in Arkansas. And it's just really thriving. Darren's really is an <laughs> amazing leader in his own right, uh, Steve. Incredible leader, teacher, preacher. Uh, what's your question for Steve? Well, Stephen, again, great, great to have us on here today, and uh, what an honor it is to have you. But my question, it really kind of stems back to uh, looking at your, your lifetime. Uh, in your lifetime, you witnessed many seasons or cycles with the Western Church. Look, I'm Church. old, but it, I, don't, you, I, I don't like to look back at my life. Lifetime, like, all right, so that many, many like decades. Right, right before I die, <laughs> is that it? But as you look back many decades, um, you've definitely witnessed a lot of things in the church, especially the Western Church. And there's one thing that this pandemic has done, and this is in my opinion, is it's revealed that many churches have, have lost their soul, just in my opinion as I look at this. And a common study that many leaders or influential people are studying is, is how many businesses have had to make a pivot during this time. And a lot of them, that they're going back to their original mission in that pivot. A lot of them are rebranding. They realize they've lost their brand in a sense. And, and when I look at the church in America, uh, what do you believe is probably one of the most important pivots uh, the church can do now coming as we come out of this pandemic? And, and do you think the church really needs some rebranding, the Western church today? Wow. Um, you know, the question about branding um, is one that certain 
progressive evangelicals uh, use that terminology. In fact, one time I was interviewed by the New York Times and they interviewed some of these evangelicals who I call progressive evangelicals to differentiate from people like me who's conservative. They were concerned the Christians who support Donald Trump uh, were hurting the evangelical brand. And I told the New York Times, I thought, I don't remember the words I used exactly, but I just thought it was stupid because Christianity is not about branding. But these are people who, in my opinion, and some of them are, you know, uh, people I consider friends professionally, they want to be so respected by the Ivy League crowd and the academics and the, the lefties that we're reasonable. You know, we go to church and, you know, we might read out of the New Testament at church and we might teach our children that Christian principles are to be nice or whatever. I mean, there's a lot of stuff that these more liberal Christians say that actually you can agree with. You know, and Donald Trump, frankly, was rather bombastic. You know, as much respect that I have for him, and it's enormous respect, and you can read my books to, you know, know that that's true, but he also is pretty prideful, and God resists the proud and gives it grace to the humble. Um, when I met him and interviewed him, I found him to be very humble. I really did. He was gentle. He was polite. He was respectful. Um, but boy, in front of a TV camera, <laughs> when people are attacking him, boy, he's... But you know what? He's also a New York businessman. But, you know, that's a discussion for a different day. Uh, what can we do? We can go back to basics. Uh, we can do what Jesus tells us to do. You know, I, earlier in this discussion, I talked about how the, the, there's been this evolution over, the, over two millennia of being on fire for God, being willing to give your life for the gospel. You know, I mean, it got to a point where the illegitimate children of popes were powerful people in medieval Europe. I mean, it was, things got that weird. And then instead of um, believing in the shed blood of Jesus to get you into heaven, it was, you could buy your way in by buying indulgences so they could build, what was it, St. Peter's in Rome? I mean, it's really, you know, we all kind of know the story, but the few times I've studied it, it was really pretty extreme. Um, I read Eric Metaxas's tome, <laughs> on Martin Luther and, and loved it, and it, it kind of gave me an insight into what Martin Luther was dealing with in that day. And we've got to be strong, and you know, frankly, it's crises that make great leaders. So if there had not been a World War II, there would have never been a Winston Churchill. I'm talking about the figure that we know. and. I believe that God raised him up. You know, he wasn't a very nice person either. The Christians of the day, you know, the Christians like us, the conservative Christians, they didn't like him because he drank brandy from the time he got up in the morning and, and was never photographed without a cigar in his hand, you know. And the Christians just thought that was horrible. And I frankly think it is too. But, I mean, you know, he, he also sensed from the time he was a teenager that God had put him on earth to save Western civilization. And he almost did it single-handedly. He bullied the parliament <laughs> in England 
to stand strong. There were a lot of them that wanted to make, quote unquote, make peace with Hitler. Well, how long would that have lasted? Like five minutes? And if it hadn't been for England, we would have not had the base for, for D-Day. And, and of course, um, had Hitler won, and it was a possibility if the whole world had given in to him. I mean, how could a country with 60 million people beat the whole world, which there had to be at least a billion people on Earth back then. I don't, haven't looked up the statistics lately, but it would have been that everybody just caved into him. And Winston Churchill, almost by himself, saved Western civilization because the world would have been plunged into a new dark ages had Hitler won. And I would not be here because <laughs> my father would not have survived World War II. He would have ne never met my mother, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, life for all of us would have been entirely different. So, you know, I've always been an admirer of Winston Churchill. <laughs> but the point I was making before I took a rabbit trail, as I am wont to do, is that there have always been bad times, and the bad times we're in are opportunities for greatness. Not that you choose that, because really the people who are great leaders, even, even Donald Trump, who would have thought that a New York playboy <laughs> would, become about, would become the champion of really conservatives in our country, number one, and number two, you could be a strong conservative and care less about uh, uh, religious persecution overseas and some of the other things that he championed. He didn't have to do all that. He didn't have to let that missionary out of uh, prison in Turkey. Most presidents would have let the State Department deal with it and would have let the poor man rot. Uh, Donald Trump made it an international incident with those sanctions he put on Turkey. And, um, you know, they let that man out. And I believe that Donald Trump is a, is a great man and that he was prepared through all the hard knocks he had to do his whole career for this time in history. And I think that God is not through with him yet. Um, I'm very, 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 very concerned about the direction of this country. We seem to be losing left and right in lots and lots of ways. But we have also been losing throughout my entire adult life. I could enumerate all the, all the things we've lost, including uh, prayer in schools when I was, listen, here in Florida, we used to pray before we went to lunch at school. We'd stand by our desks and we'd recite the Lord's Prayer. And that was the very year, the year I moved to Florida when I was in elementary school, that um, the Supreme Court outlawed prayer. And then the next year, uh, Bible reading or whatever, and then it's been one thing after another through Roe v. Wade, which should have never passed, never, 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 never. And I just saw a week ago the pre premiere of the movie Roe v. Wade, which really everybody should see. It's very, very well done and very disturbing. So I'm not sure I answered your question, but I had a lot of fun talking. <laughs> well, we had fun listening to it. Uh, Steve, did you wrestle? Uh, with coming out and being so public uh, in your staunch support of Trump, realizing that you have perhaps many subscribers that would not share that endorsement, and perhaps even the fear of losing, you know, a lot of those subscribers. Did you wrestle with that? 
Uh, no, not really, because in my circles, uh, most of the people supported Trump before uh, my books came out. Now, during the campaign, I was a Ted Cruz guy. I didn't like Donald Trump for all the reasons why other people don't like Donald Trump. <laughs> you know, he had three marriages. He made his money in gambling, which I don't approve of at all, um, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But I also began to see that Donald Trump had changed. And uh, I think that uh, Paula White Kane, who you guys know, had something mm -hmm. to do with it. And I've known Paula for years and years and years. And I can remember, and I put this in my books, I can remember her telling me and Joy in some kind of setting, I, maybe it was over dinner or something, that the celebrity had called her ministry having questions about God, and the celebrity was Donald Trump. You know, he was on The mm -hmm. Apprentice and all that kind of stuff, and I thought, well, that's kind of interesting. So when it came out years later, I mean, I, I could remember that. I knew that Paula was not making this up. And um, he got more serious about life he kind of cleaned up his act all the stuff they criticize him about is not the last 10 years and uh, uh, Allison Camarada interviewed me on CNN about my book and asked me you know weren't evangelicals looking the other way about Donald Trump and I said well no more than the press did with John Kennedy and Lyndon Baines Johnson and Bill Clinton you know she didn't have a comeback and she she said but you know he does this this and this and I said I I said, I don't approve of that if he did it. But I said, I think he's changed. And so she said, well, how did he change? So on live television, without rehearsing or thinking it through, I heard myself saying, I believe he's accepted Christ. <laughs> mm. And then I thought, I do not know that firsthand, <laughs> but that's what I've been told. And I said, he's really... I said what I, I repeated what I just said to you, that he's really kind of cleaned up his act. And I said, besides that, it's not how pious he is. It's about his policies. And a lot of his policies, I agree with, they're, they're, you know, I don't think that the debate on the border is really a Christian debate, although the Catholics really get into this welcoming the poor and all that kind of stuff. And the Bible does talk about how you treat strangers. But the Bible also talks about law. And there's no country in the world, none, that bring in as many legal immigrants every year, over a million. All the other big countries, do you think China takes in a million immigrants a year? Or how about the Soviet Union? Or Brazil? Or Germany? Now, Europe is taking in a lot of immigrants. They're also having a lot of trouble. But, you know, all we want people to do is stand in line and wait their turn. That's all. And it's become a political hot potato. So uh, people in my circles are pretty um, supportive of Trump. You know, 85% of evangelicals, self-described evangelicals, uh, voted for Donald Trump. But part of it was who the other side was. It was Hillary Clinton. And I've joked about this before. You know, they had the term never Trumpers. But I was an ABC voter. Anybody but Clinton. You know, that was my attitude. We know... We don't know how bad Donald Trump is because he'd never been in elected office. We didn't know, you know, what he was going to do. But we knew for sure what who Hillary Clinton was. And I think most of my readers did that. Now, there are certain people who want to be respected by the other side. They don't like controversy. Donald Trump is a little too much for them. But 
you know, and they'll stay arm's length. So, for example, I've had a couple of people decline to be interviewed when I wanted their thoughts about, you know, all these current events. And that's, you know, and there were a few TV ministries that did not have me on because it was, quote, too political. But I think that with the way things are going, <laughs> um, we have to be political ju just as Americans to exercise our rights. We have just as much right to talk about biblical values and conservative values as the other side does. But in the popular culture and with the media and everything else, it's like they have all the rights and we have none. All we can do is sit down and shut up. Thank you very much. Yeah. And if we take that attitude, they have won. Well, would they say Nehemiah was political? You know, Daniel, Esther, Joseph, uh, Jesus, political? You know, the fact is, if we don't take a stand, you know, for our moral biblical values, others will define it for us, and that's what we're seeing. Well, Steve, thanks so much uh, for joining us on the Influencers Podcast. We love you. Yeah, you know, admire you. You. Uh, you. You have literally changed this world. Yeah, you've been you, an incredible Steve. model. Amen. Thank you. Well, you're very kind. I, I, I'm not sure I agree with that, but <laughs> you're kind. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Influencers Podcast on the Charisma Podcast Network. If you haven't subscribed to the podcast, please be sure to hit the subscription button. You can help us to reach more people and bring more great guests onto the program by giving us a five-star rating and writing a personal review about how this podcast has personally impacted you. We love to read your comments. We'd love you to follow us at The Influencers Podcast Official. That's on all social media channels. To stay up to date, to hear more inspirational content, and to unlock your full potential as an influencer. Remember, folks, use your influence to move people closer to Jesus and his mission.